Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 6, Episode 11. This time we are talking about 1995's Bad Boys. With Joe. What did I say? Did you hear what I said? I heard what I said because I was standing there when I said it. And Josh. You are Mike Lowry. You be him. That's what you are. You're him. You're him. I don't want to hear it. You're him. And you, you, you are you. You be you. But not in front of her. You're him. You're you. Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Mike to my Marcus. Josh, welcome back. Uh, What was the last movie you did with me? Uh... Wait, what did we do? What was the last movie we did? Know. We talked for 17 hours straight. <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> Scream. It was Scream. Oh, yes. Yes, we did Scream. Oh, I love Scream. Well, anyway, we're doing Bad Boys yeah. for the action movie Pantheon. And this consists of seven and only seven films. And those films right now, number one is Die Hard with a 97.4% average. Mad Max Fury Road with a 95. John Wick with a 92.7%. John Wick Chapter 2 with a 91.7%. John Wick Chapter 3 with an 88.5 Die Hard with a Vengeance with Samuel L. Jackson baby with an 88 and Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior with an 85 that's our rounding about of the action movies right there right now okay and so we're you're like A A plus range down through B Uh, an A plus would be 100% okay that's the only yeah okay yeah, Got so it. right now, that's the range of the movies that we've done. Okay. Now, if you go to the comic book movies, we've done so many of those, it's all A's. And okay. now it's a matter of, okay, which one are we booting out? Which one yes. is not going to be representing in this pantheon? Ooh. Yeah, let's get down to business. This week, we're talking about 1995's Bad Boys, a movie made for about $19 million that brought in $141.4 million. Good. That's Good. a nice turnaround in uh, 1995. Them. Written by George Gallo, Michael Berry, Jim Mulholland, and Doug Richardson. Wow, there's a lot of writers on there. Kind of makes sense considering the movie we just watched. Mm. <laughs> did, did they do an exquisite corpse with it where they just each took a scene and... I'm like, you two, go in that room. You two, go in that room. Come up with something we'll put together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Directed by Michael Color Saturation Bay, his first theatrical film, and music by Mark Mancino who I have a feeling worked on The Rock also because I heard a lot of rock music in this, like the rock oh. style music. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it opened on April 7th, 1995, along with a Goofy movie. And it, Tommy Boy was in its first week. Okay. Uh, Don Juan DeMarco was <laughs> open that same weekend. Uh, but it made $15 million. It made It made more than the other two movies below it combined. Okay, that's pretty impressive looking at the stats here. Yeah. And it was in the same number of theaters for the most part. Oh, yeah. I, it, Slightly less even. Just a smidgen. Yeah. But it makes you wonder, like, why did people gravitate towards bad boys? Was there, uh, prior to this, was there a, a dearth of uh, action or comedy? When was the last Lethal Weapon that had been good prior to this? <sighs> See, I love all the Lethal Weapon movies. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of, boy, they're parallels. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But they're like bad parallels. Like, <laughs> Lethal Weapon did it right. Mm-hmm. Y'all did this. <laughs> but I, I looked up some stuff here, and I kind of looked at the time period this was in. Uh, Will Smith was fresh off of Six Degrees of Separation. Okay. That was his first movie. Yes. He was also in the middle of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and, yep. and ending that run. 
Martin Lawrence was in the middle of Martin the show. And he was like the Kevin Hart of comedians back then. Yes. He was everywhere. Yeah. So you have these, you have Martin Lawrence, who's the Kevin Hart, and you have Will Smith, who's about to do something that no one saw out of Fresh Prince before, mm -hmm. which is he's gonna have a foul mouth and do some action. Right. And because everybody remembers the scene in, D in Fresh Prince of Bel Air where Carlton got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and here's Will Smith with two in his hands. <laughs> on a very special Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> My gosh, I hadn't thought about that in years. <laughs> yeah, so because you had these two forces, it was almost like if this didn't make 15 million out of the gate, mm -hmm. you were never gonna make a movie with two guys like this. Yes, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, can see the argument there. It, I mean, it, it, was, it was a perfect storm of events because mm -hmm. after this, that's when Will Smith goes on his run. Independence Day, Men in Black, boom, every summer. He's Mr. July 4th all of a sudden. Right, right. Yeah. So this was the movie that kind of started that trajectory because nobody saw Six Degrees of Separation. That's, I remember um, that getting recommended to me when it came out on video. Okay. Um, because I was in like a serious movie era. Okay, all right. So uh, I didn't watch it till a few years later and I barely remember it. It's a stage play, right? I don't know. Is okay. it? Okay, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think it's based on a stage play. Um, and it, it's kind of a feel bad. I don't even know what it's about. I okay. just know he's well acclaimed for this role yes. as his first role. This was like, holy crap, he came out swinging. Yes. I know that. Uh, it's rated R, this movie's rated R, surprisingly. <laughs> One hour and 59 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Did it feel longer? Oh, it. I felt every one of these minutes. <laughs> it's one of those. Um, I try not to pause it and check the check the runtime. Mm -hmm. But this one, I was like, did that a couple times. Come on, come. Are you kidding me? And that's uh, last night for uh, my other show on my other shows, right? Yeah. Um, I was watching Django Unchained. Nashville, CA. Uh, no, for oh. Stagecoach Justice. Okay, yes. We're doing a, a whole Django season. Oh. I don't know if you know of Jang Django exploitation. I don't know of Django exploitation. <laughs> this sounds like something you've created. <laughs> so it was a, uh, there was Django with Franco Nero. Yes. Uh, classic. Um, and all of these spinoffs that came out of Spain and Italy at the time, uh, they were just throwing, they had Man With No Name. Okay, yeah. Protagonist. Yeah. And they're like, well, his name is Django now. Let's throw a Django in ADR or throw the title up there. Yeah. Uh, because the first one was so popular. So Django exploitation, and we've watched uh, like eight of them. Wow. Yeah. And um, there's a couple that are pretty strong. Okay. The original one I really like. Okay. Um, there's some great visuals. It's just, you know, it's a lot of the spaghetti westerns are very just mood based. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. It's vibes, and then there's violence. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a long shot of the hills. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but watching Django Unchained last night, which is an hour longer than this movie. Oh, yes. Um, but I feel like it moves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly my point. Is like, I'm sitting there watching it, and I had to, I paused it. I was making dinner and stuff, and I paused it, and I'm like, I only have 30 minutes left of this, <laughs> of this film. The, I've been buzzing through it. The only way I would know that Django Unchained was longer is if I had known ahead of time that Quentin Tarantino had done it. 
because I know his movies always yes. a little longer. Yeah. Uh, but also, this movie, Bad Boys, there's parts where it does move. Yes. And then it's cut with things that make you go, I could check the time right now to see how much time's left in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But doing what you're said, where you talked like, you know, you're going to check the time where it's at in the movie. Normally, you can feel where you're at in the movie. Yeah. You can, you've got that sense of like, oh, I'm near the third act, or this is the all is lost moment. Right. And so we're entering that section of it, and we're going to gear up, and there's going to be a, a big action moment, and then like a denouement. Yeah. But you don't get that in this. <laughs> it's, it, it moves and fits and starts. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Uh, starring Martin Lawrence as Detective Sergeant Marcus Miles Burnett, Will Smith as Detective Sergeant Michael Eugene Mike Lowry, and then there's Tay Leone as Julie. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Checky Curio as Fouché. Is that how you say his name? I was going to ask you. <laughs> I, made a, I made a note about that. One. I know Fouché. I don't know how to say his name. Yeah. Uh, Teresa Randall, totally forgot about her mm-hmm. as Teresa Burnett. Joey Pants. Joe Pantoliano as Captain Conrad Howard. Mark Helgenberger as Captain Allison Sinclair of the uh, internal affairs that no one ever likes in movies. <laughs> Nestor Serrano as Detective Sanchez. Julio Oscar Machoso as Detective Ruiz. Michael Imperioli, Soprano's own Michael Imperioli as JoJo. And Detroit Pistons 1989 and 1990 World Champions own John Spider Sally as Fletcher the Hacker. Yes. It was so nice. great to see him. Nice poll. Yeah. Uh, also kind of below this uh, i don't remember their names but kevin corrigan who is uh he's a famous character actor uh and he, who was he in this uh i don't remember was he one of the henchmen yes okay um but he is, was he fake michael ironside no okay not that, <laughs> not that guy um but he was on um oh there was a sitcom with uh, donald logue uh grounded for life i believe that was a good sitcom i like that yeah one. he was like the brother oh okay on that for a long time but he's always like like Michael Imperioli showing up in these mob, like mob roles and kind of like lower level type dudes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember seeing this for the first time? By the way, the tagline for this was what you're going to do. It was going to get any better than that. Do you remember <laughs> seeing this for the first time? What did you think, Josh? Let me cast my mind back. 48 hours. To earlier this week <laughs> when I watched this film. <laughs> uh, so. Just look, initial thoughts. Yes. Looking back, uh, I don't know if I was not watching stuff at the time, but looking back at that list of what else was out this week, the only one that I saw in theaters was Dolores Claiborne. That was the, and that's because- And you saw that in theaters? I'm a big king head. I'm a big king guy. Okay, 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 okay. So, uh, yeah, everything else, I've, I've seen Tommy Boy, like, pretty sure I saw it at college yeah as you do that's like a perfect setting for it but <laughs> everything else is foreign to me i know honestly. i saw tommy boy in the theaters did you i know i did yeah i was i know i was anti-comedy at the time oh really yeah so like nothing's funny yeah uh, you know it's uh millennial on we or whatever was creeping up on me and uh my my <laughs> I couldn't get all through my irony-soaked flannels that I was wearing. So me, I don't remember when I saw Bad Boys. I don't remember when I saw this. I know it wasn't in theaters, and I do know I saw Bad Boys 2 first. Okay. I know I saw that. Uh, it did not have that big of an impact on me. Understandably so. In I fact, if you'd asked me which what was Will Smith's first blockbuster, I would have said Independence Day mm-hmm. and thought Bad Boys came after that. 
I think that I kind of had thought that up until right. <laughs> looking at these actual dates for this thing. <laughs> okay, let's talk about how this movie came to be. It's going to be short, so here we go. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. Principal photography began on June 27th of 94 at the Dade Tire Company near downtown Miami. That's, my, that's where they got JoJo at the tire company. He uh -huh. does tires. The city chosen to replace the original New York locale. Filming continued throughout the area, including South Beach's Tides Hotel, the Mediterranean Biltmore Hotel, the Dade County Courthouse, and a multi-million dollar estate on a private island. The second floor of, a downtown, of, of downtown Miami's Alfred DuPont building was converted into a police station a freighter on the Miami River into a drug lab. <laughs> Bad Boys' climactic scenes were filmed at the Opalaka Airport. They needed all the space, clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, filming was quick due to the TV schedules of the stars. They had to move because Martin Fresh Prince was going on. This was like in their, their off time for doing the sitcoms. Yeah, the, and I'm sure Michael J. Fox was like, dude, why couldn't you tell me I could have done Back to the Future a little bit slower than this? <laughs> doing night shoots at Family Ties. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The opening sequences was written and shot during post-production. Okay, that sounds correct. <laughs> that absolutely sounds... I'm starting to see why it was paced the way it was. Mm -hmm. uh, in the film's early stages of development, Simpson and Bruckheimer initially envisioned Dana Carvey and John Lovitz in the roles. That turns it into um, Spies Like Us. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's two goofy guys <laughs> making faces and being wacky. <laughs> when the film was written for Carvey and Lovitz, the original title for Bad Boys was Bulletproof Hearts. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> I, love, I love that title. Arsenio Hall turned down the role of Lowry and cites that choice as the worst mistake he has ever made. Yeah. The role eventually went to Smith. Both Lawrence and Smith were starring in their own hit TV shows, Martin and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air even references the film in an episode. In the season six, episode 20, called I Stank Horse, Nicholas Nicky Banks tells Will that his parents will not let him watch Bad Boys, to which Will replies, Bad Boys, huh? What'd you go and do? <laughs> I really want to see, like, if it was today, there'd be a lower third Chiron pop in that was like, Watch Bad Boys now. <laughs> Press the asterisk on your remote. They would have broken the fourth wall and been like, buy now today. <laughs> uh, now, improvisation gets an entire piece here. Director Bay did not like the script and often engaged Smith and Lawrence in discussions about how the dialogue and scenes could improve. He often allowed them to improvise while the cameras are rolling. He secretly told Smith to call Lawrence a bitch before the car scene. <laughs> And the whole two bitches in the sea was improvised, as was Lawrence's comment when Leone called him gay. <laughs> this all tracks. This all tracks. Perfectly. It makes total sense. Yeah. The scene in the convenience store when the clerk puts a gun to Burnett and Lowry's heads and yells, telling them to freeze mother bitches, is also improvised. Which that is. Mwah. That scene. I loved that little sequence there. I love so many of the scenes in this. But I can't say I love this movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they came up with, no, you freeze, bitch. Now back up, put the gun down, and get me a peck of tropical fruit bubblicious and some Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> According to Bay in the DVD commentary at the end of the film when Mike and Marcus are recuperating, Mike says, I love you, man. 
Bay claims that Smith refused to say the line, causing the director and actor to argue back and forth over the line. Bay wanted Smith to say the line as he felt it summed up the friendship between the cops. After their argument had lasted for half of the day's shoot and much of the crew was ready to pack up, a fed-up Bay told Smith to do whatever he wanted, after which Smith changed his mind and agreed to say the line. Early diva. <laughs> now, this strikes me as, I don't know if you've ever heard the the anecdote about, uh, I think it was filming Gone Girl. Okay. Where Fincher wanted uh, Affleck to wear a Yankees cap. And he wanted a Boston cap. And he wanted a Boston cap. I think that that's Fincher, like, screwing with everybody else. Mm. Much like in the Fight Club commentary where he says, uh, in when they're in the Penguin Cave. Yes. He says, oh, the breath that you see was left over from Titanic. <laughs> and people report that as one of the things. I'm like, That's not how any of this works. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, but you know, Fincher for, for all, for all I've, you know, I've said about fight club. I do believe that fight club is probably Fincher's magnum opus. I think it is social network came 11 years later. Oh, can we do a whole, just Fincher, a Finch run. A Finch run? Yes. We can we can do like a segment where we just talk about Fincher. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. He did Alien 3, which he almost didn't do Fight Club because of Alien 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he did Seven and The Game. Wait, what? Is the order on that correct? Yes. Alien 3, Seven, The Game, and then he did Fight Club. So he cut his teeth on Alien 3 as to how not to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Then came back with Seven. And seven's awesome. Yeah. Seven rules. Yeah. The game is underrated. Absolutely. And when you see those two, you can see how Fight Club came to be because yes. it takes from both of those. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think I said that the Fight Club thing. I was like, yeah, this is his magnum opus. Mm. I'm, I'm going to go with Zodiac. See, Zodiac, I hated. Really? I did. I hated Zodiac because it was all journey, no payoff. Oh, that's the point. I know that's the that point. That is the point. But it's a that makes it pointless. Hmm. Because if you're going to do something based on true events, mm-hmm. then the expectation is that we know the spoiler. Right, generally speaking. Generally speaking, we know the spoiler. Yeah. So being that the Zodiac case has been analyzed and researched, <laughs> analyzed and researched, is there anything new we were going to get out of this? No. So the <laughs> movie, uh, just like Seven, isn't really about the the plot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's about all these things around it and the relationship of these two men. And it's using the framework of a, you know, a trashy murder mystery. Okay. Basically to talk about um, marriage relationships and Brad Pitt is like this kind of toxic dude. Yeah. Uh, you know, early bro. <laughs> and Morgan Freeman as a mentor who's trying to guide him through this and the moral choices we make. Um, I think Zodiac is about the uh, dissolution and degradation of these people as they search for this person over the span of years. And yeah. what that means for society at large when the people who are supposed to be like the watchdogs are tired yeah. of what's happening. Um, and I think that that's what I like about that movie. Okay. And the ending, the non ending is almost like the, the sequence in seven, when John Doe turns himself in, 
right? You've had all yeah. this all this buildup, and you think the detectives are getting close, and none of it mattered. Detectives! <laughs> <laughs> Love that. It's great scene. That's uh, and I have to say, you know, uh, cancellation aside. Kevin Spacey's masterclass that used to be up on masterclass yeah. about acting. It's phenomenal. I bet it is. It was so good. I look at people like Kevin Spacey and yeah, I'm gonna throw them in these, in the same words as these people, Michael Jackson, R Kelly, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. I I'm able to differentiate the work that they did to the person they are. Yes. I would hope so. Like I still love the Cosby show. The Cosby show is a brilliant, brilliant show. Mm-hmm but I hate the man who did it now. Yes. And there are certain things where it strikes close to the person they're portraying. That makes it a little hard for me. Okay. Um, in certain instances, Ryan Adams is one of those people uh, to find out that he was pretty horrible in his private life, his oh. romantic dealings with women. <clears throat> okay. It's hard then to listen to him sing these love songs. Right. Right. Like that's, I'm like, that's, a little weird cognitive dissonance. Well, there's a, on. there's a thin limb between passion and violence. Ooh, take that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get into this movie. No, man, I'm so sick of this bullshit. What, when I'm supposed to apologize for my family, leaving me money. All I ever wanted to be was a cop. I get up early and I take it to the max every day. I'm the first guy through the door, and I'm always the last guy to leave the crime scene. So you know what? Fuck you, and fuck them, and fuck everybody who got a problem with Mike Lowry. I love you, man. Fuck you, Marcus. I do. Cool. You're my partner. Shut up. Shut up, man. Slow-ass driver. Driving like a bitch. Why I got to be all that? Slow-ass. I'll take you, me, and you off this fucking cliff. Keep fucking with me. All right? Then it'll be what? Two bitches in the sea, huh? Is that it? Is that what you want? Shut up, man. My wife, no, I ain't no bitch. I'm a bad boy. Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry are best friends of detectives in the Narcotics Division of the Miami Police Department. And I'm going to say right now, the beginning of this movie is great with Marcus dropping his fries in Mike's car. <laughs> oh, okay. I've, I've got to side with Mike. Like, <laughs> Do it. Totally, right? <laughs> Have you ever left a fast food bag in your car, like set in the back seat on a road trip or something? You come back later uh, and it smells like the dumpster at a Five Guys. Yes. <laughs> Which, by the way, they were lucky those are McDonald's fries and not Five Guys fries. Oh, my God. They, so many fries everywhere. <laughs> Here's a bag full of fries and your tiny sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> But this is uh, this is when the the detectives get <laughs> pulled over by the criminals. Oh, such a good little sequence. Yeah, they have a great little argument there to distract them. And I'm already on board with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I like these two together. I think they've got great chemistry. Uh, and it, this is kind of nice because for two days in a row now, I've done movies with where the leads have excellent chemistry. And it's interesting way to start the movie. Like buddy cop movies start with the two of them meeting. Yeah. This is like, no, no, they've been partners for a long time at this point. And they were friends before that, right? Right. Like, he was always there through his childhood, he says. Bad boys for life. Yes. (laughs) Ride or die. (laughs) How is that not the fourth film? It's the third film. How is Bad Boys for Life not the fourth film? Because How how did they screw that up? Because the third film was supposed to be the last one. Uh, Yeah. You know what? If 
If, if Will they, Smith hadn't slapped Chris Rock, there wouldn't have been a fourth movie. That's simple as that. Okay. Uh, if they capitalize on the relationship between these two dudes in the next two movies, mm-hmm. there should be a series of these films. Not not just three. There should be like a James Bondian level of, hey, we're going to ride on how cool these two guys are and how much they poke at each other but love each other as well. This is really sad to do this and realize what a missed opportunity this was for these two guys. Because mm-hmm. you're right. By the time Bad Boys 2 comes out, which I think is five years later. Okay. Now, if you have a good action film, if Paramount or Universal has a good action, they green light it now. Right. And it's out in a year and a half. <laughs> Maximum. They waited. They had to be talked into Bad Boys too. Oh my gosh! And it's like you had no idea what you had. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> one night, a hundred million dollars of mafia seized heroin is stolen from a secure police vault. Can we use the secure lightly? <laughs> <laughs> I love how organized those criminals always seem to be with the perfect plan to distract the cops mm-hmm. in these '80s and '90s movies. Like this wouldn't happen. Right. <laughs> and they got the oldest guy in the forest watching the cameras at night. It's, <laughs> he should be watching like, uh, I used to work overnight as a security guard Yeah, um, at an office building where nothing ever happened. <laughs> we did have an armory. You had an armory? There was an armory. And like the person on, uh, the, the head person on watch had the key for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was like a rack of shotguns and some pistols in the bottom. Like it was a whole thing. Wow. It was at a um, healthcare office complex. I can't see you arming up. Oh no, no. <laughs> but they would send me out to like walk the perimeter. Yeah. Here's your flashlight. Yes. And you have a little key fob that you have to tap on things as you go uh, instead of punching a clock. Okay. Like, like they used to in the old days. Um, and you would leave the older guy sitting back watching the monitors because he couldn't make the rounds. Yeah. So this is what I'm thinking when I'm watching this dude. I was like, oh, that's like Bert. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know the type of the guy. I know the specific guy that that is. But as a trope in a movie, the only thing missing was the monitors and then one monitor over here watching Golden Girls or some other TV show. Yeah. And he's got his feet up with some fries. That's the only thing that was missing from this scene. Um. But yeah, so <laughs> this heist is pretty elaborate. Mm-hmm. You got to know like the ductwork in this place. And the mechanics of that, like so many things in this movie don't entirely make sense, but they're <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, Michael Bay is the king of that's cool. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I don't know how it works, but that's fine. I don't care. Like the the geography of it. Yeah. Like, wait, they're shooting down this pipe and it's falling down a thing and but they're on a rocket sled at one point and at one point the guy gets on the rocket sled yes yeah <laughs> like it's so cool and it, it looks like you can actually see parts where they've cut out parts of the pipe to see into it to shoot yes i'm like was that a mistake or is that actually how it's supposed to be i think it was a mistake okay yeah because if that's a duct i mean it doesn't work if there's big holes in it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, this is Bay's first movie, okay? Yes, yeah. 
Uh, this is a major blow to Marcus and Mike because it was the biggest drug bust of their careers. Internal affairs, boo, <laughs> led by Captain Allison Sinclair, suspects that if it was an inside job with corrupt police officers and warns the rest of the department that if they do not recover the drugs in 72 hours, the narcotics division will be shut down, as they do in these types of movies. The investigation proceeds with Mike and Marcus calling in on their old informants, including JoJo, a former chemist and drug convict who now works at a tire shop. Uh, before this, we get Mike stopping by Marcus's for breakfast, mm -hmm. which is another great scene. This is this is so Riggs and Murtaugh it hurts though. The I love the little running gags with uh, Mike and the kids. Yes, the like he's always telling them these inappropriate stories, and everybody <laughs> knows that he's going to talk about like. Well, these sex workers I locked up, blah, 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 blah. You should have seen them, wink. And the kids are like, oh, right. Uncle Mike. But you know what's funny is that he's making legitimate jokes like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Riggs and Murtaugh, Riggs would come over and do do puns and be like, wait, I didn't say that. I said this. Yeah, yeah. You know? And wait, what do you say? I don't know. You know, it was much more subtle. Yes. It wasn't a bit. Yeah. Um. And we'll get to this even more as it goes on, but there's a lot of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Like, did you get it? Did You're right. you get it? Right. Like, okay, we're underlining all of these, all of these jokes. Yeah. We also meet Captain Howard, Joey Pants. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say something that I didn't think I'd repeat, mm -hmm. especially two days in a row. Yesterday, I said that the chemistry between Helena Bonham Carter and Brad Pitt and Ed Norton is the best it's going to be. Okay, yeah. This movie says hold my beer. <laughs> because I could watch Joey Pants with Will Smith and Marcus Lawrence on a loop. So have you seen Joey Pants not be awesome in something? <sighs> There's gotta be something. There's gotta be something. But he's one of these dudes, right? When before you knew who he was, even he was one of the, he's oh he's that guy yeah he's like Buscemi before he was Buscemi Buscemi right? you'd, yes. you'd recognize him and you're like and you'd feel safe like okay this scene in this movie he might only be in one scene but this scene's gonna be good <laughs> somebody cares about what they're bringing to the scene so according to this if I was to look at his oeuvre okay uh, as an actor he's he's done so many bit parts um. Before Bad Boys in 95, it was Baby's Day Out. Okay. Uh. <laughs> it was, let's see, what's the, he was in The Fugitive. Do you remember him in The Fugitive? I do not. His name was Cosmo Renfro. Great name. Yeah. No notes. Great name. Um, Done a lot of TV stuff, but... You know where I do remember him from? Empire of the Sun? No, it has been several hot minutes since I've seen Empire of the Sun. Uh, <laughs> La Bamba. La Bamba? He's great in La Bamba. Risky Business. He's Guido in Risky He's Business. He's Guido! <laughs> yes. Oh, Guido the pimp. <laughs> oh, I love Risky Business. Uh -huh. Yeah, you're right. This guy is just like, he hits it. Yeah. Every time. And, and he was in the Goonies. Yes, he was. I mean... He, he's can we call actors pinch hitters? He's a pinch hitter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're in a pinch. Bring him up. There's there's a character those guys, and you're like, oh, we need a that guy. Mm -hmm. That's I would I love these casts where you know I mentioned a couple of them here. 
guys that didn't even make the cast list who are like, nope, I recognize him. He's been around. He uh, he was part of the reason why The Matrix was so successful. Mm-hmm. Because if you take him out, it's a dry movie. Yeah. And uh, he adds the salt. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is very self-serious. Yeah. Why didn't I take the blue pill? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do love how internal affairs always seems like the bad guys in these departments in the 80s and 90s. Uh, more like infernal affairs, am I right? Oh, look at that. Oh. <laughs> Was that? No. no. <laughs> USA up all night. Okay. They, <laughs> uh, they would never shut down a narcotics division. They'd fire people. They're going to shut down an entire division. Okay. You can't. It's always that uh, that threat is levied against like the experimental division. Mm-hmm. Always like the weird new one that it's like the X Files, right? Like it's <laughs> Mulder is told like we're gonna shut you down so many times. Yeah, but narcotics in Miami? Yeah, you're not <laughs> shutting that down. I'm That's sorry. been around for fifty years. Yeah. <laughs> And they need it. Yes. <laughs> There's a few uh, ports down there you got to take a look at. Uh, and uh, this is where we also see Michael Imperioli immediately as Jojo. And I was like, hey, I know him. And uh, he repeatedly says that he, I work in rubber now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you also notice that? Did you watch it with closed captioning on? Mm-mm. Okay. Every time it says tire, it's T-Y-R-E. Like a British dude? <laughs> like I'm like... Did they purposely misspell tire? But he keeps saying it over and over again, and he keeps spelling it T-Y-R-E. And I was like, who messed up at the closed captioning department? I know a couple guys who do that, and they might have just been messing with you specifically. <laughs> just like, <laughs> they'll never catch this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mike asks one of his informants and ex-girlfriend, Maxine Logan, to look for people who are newly rich and therefore suspects. Max gets herself and her best friend, Julie, hired as escorts by Eddie Dominguez, a crooked former cop and part of the coup. His boss, French drug kingpin Fouché, and his henchmen Casper, Ferguson, and Noah Trificante do not want the coup to be endangered by outside members who know nothing of the deal. Now, if you know what this coup is against, good job, because it's never explained in this movie at all. Therefore, Fouché shoots Max and Ferguson, kills Dominguez. After witnessing the murder, Julie manages to escape over the roof. Lois Fields, the madam who hired Julie and Max, and if you recognize her, she's from House, is disposed of by Noah, who then knocks out Mike as he investigates Max's death. This is where you start to see all of Michael Bay's movies start to branch from. Mm-hmm. This scene. Dutch angles. Look it up. Discolored things. Oh, let's do some slow-mo gun show. <laughs> right from the jump, though, you start in with your your color coding. Right, like uh, this scene, this sequence is all blue, like the bluest <laughs> blue you've ever seen, like the like the abyss. Yes, right. Uh, but you have like the tobacco filters on other scenes, mm-hmm. uh, and all of the little particulars that are like uh, John Woo on cocaine. That's, <laughs> all they needed was doves in the background. Yes, <laughs> which frankly would have been awesome would've and been- could have added to it. <laughs> But you have the problem of you've got all this style, you've got all the charm of your leads, mm-hmm. and then you have the plot that needs to fit in here somewhere. <laughs> they, right. <laughs> so we're going to shove it all into this little sequence where like the movie breathes around these areas uh, 
and this plot, and I'm going to say it again. Yep. Doesn't make no sense. No, no. Um, Taya Leone. Mm-hmm. We are introduced to her here. And as she's talking, my first thought is she's not an escort. I didn't, I didn't understand if she was supposed to be, or because they're like, oh, it's my roommate. Well, she's not a working girl. We'll bring her along. I'm like, if she's not a working girl, what is she doing going along? Yeah. She, well, she said at one point she's a failed photographer. Okay. I'm like, well, then what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> How, do you make a good living being a failed photographer? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, no. So from what I remember, Max is into Mike, but Julie's going to end up with him. Loyalty to your friends be damned when they're dead. <laughs> and... I, I was thinking about this this time, which is when she jumps off the roof into the pool, were you like me thinking, how come they never land in the shallow end? Oh, okay. My concern was she was going to smack her head on the way down. <laughs> Just miss the pool. Yeah, because like the angle that they're shooting it at, like I'm like, if she leans back an inch, yeah. she, she's a goner. But every time they have somebody jumping off of a roof into a pool, I always go, how come they're not hitting the shallow end of the pool? <laughs> like, what would that look like? How cool would that be on film? <laughs> like that'd be something in like not another teen movie almost. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I could see a, a Zucker brothers, Zucker, Abram Zucker, Zaz. Who? You know, your, uh, your airplanes. Oh yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Oh, that'd be perfect for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it is a good place to talk about this. Let's go into it. Bad okay. acting. Oof. Oofa doofa. <laughs> so, uh, is it, uh, Max as the the bodybuilder girl bodybuilder girl well she's working out in the gym oh yes okay yeah she's a model I guess but yes and, and that's it comes across that she's a model yeah I feel bad the scene with in her, the dirtiest gym ever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again it feels like the club from the matrix or something <laughs> club hell gym. yeah what is going on here? Well, I thought she was a boxer at first. I'm like, this is what boxing dens tend to look like on film. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was a Karen Alexander is the actress. Yes. Portrays Max Logan. Um, pretty. Oh, gorgeous. Stunning woman. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I can see why she's a model. That's. Uh, I can see why she's not supposed to talk. Yeah. <laughs> the, the scene with her and Lisa Edelstein uh, is so rough. Oh, yeah. It, and it's shot like it is shot in such a way that you can tell that they were trying to coax these people into saying their lines mm-hmm. because there's all these separate shots. There's a lot of like weird business going on where it's the, I, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Elastine is playing with a phone. Right. Uh, and um, Karen is like, doing something on the bed and it's just this weird back and forth. It feels very disjointed. They, they took the notes, always be doing something yeah. way too literal. Yes. yes. <laughs> no, the, it's bad there, but it's also evident when you have good actors talking to them. Oh yeah. Like Fouché, I've seen him before in things. Oh, absolutely. He looks like an actor. His henchmen, they look like something out of a Steven Seagal movie. Yes, there is a uh, that level of like competence. Yeah, between these people, and there's a couple of the henchmen where you're like, you're a, you're a direct to video kind of <laughs> kind of henchman, aren't you? You're fake Michael Ironside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although she has not met Mike because of Max's relationship with him, Julie will only trust and deal with Mike. How? Wait, let's return for a second. I gotta say something. Okay. 
you just saw your friend get killed. Do you start to run or do you hide in that house until everybody leaves and then go? I would have, I wouldn't, she like peeks her head out and is looking <laughs> and then hi. To, yeah. <laughs> like, and they scope her like real quick. Right. <laughs> she's yeah. Maybe like lay down and like kind of, kind of peek very carefully, but she's like, and I know part of it is the style, but you know, there's light streaming onto her. <laughs> oh yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's a great shot. There's but... fun lights from the background shooting through the blinds. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, back to that. Okay, so Julie will only trust and deal with Mike because of Max's relationship. Mm -hmm. However, he is following up the lead on the madam when she contacts the police about the murders, threatening to run if she does not speak to Mike. Captain Conrad Howard forces Marcus to impersonate Mike to get Julie to cooperate. Marcus manages to convince Julie that he is Mike Lowry, and together they escape from Julie's apartment after a shootout during which Marcus manages to kill Cooney, one of Fouché's cronies. Oh, Cooney the crony. In order to continue the deception, Marcus and Mike switch lives. Marcus tells his family he's going to Cleveland for another drug case, leaving Mike to stay with them. Marcus then moves into Mike's apartment with Julie and her dogs. In Julie's presence, Marcus poses as Mike while Mike poses as Marcus. These are my favorite scenes in the movie. The, okay. They're not not my favorite scenes. Right. But the whole gambit doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> Like the fact that these guys and I, if it, if you play it as they are uh, great cops, yeah, but clueless about life, uh, uh, it totally works. Right. And that's what it has to be of like, we have to keep up this facade, even though eventually when the women meet each other, they're both like, yeah, yeah, we know. Well, and I think here's the thing. If the movie was just those two cops and their relationship together and they've got to switch lives and all mm -hmm. that stuff, if that was just the movie, mm -hmm. then the leap of faith you take was, okay, this may not ever actually happen, but eh, let's see if it does. Right. You know, that's, but there's too many other leap of faith in this movie. <laughs> yeah. You only get, uh, oh gosh, who was that? Was it an Ebert thing? Um, there's a, a rule and Ebert had all these great like uh, rules of like, uh, if you see certain actors in a movie, you know you're in good hands. Okay. Uh, if you see certain named actors in a murder mystery, well, eventually you're going to know who the killer is, right? <laughs> Unless you're Wes Craven, you go, fine, you like Drew Barrymore? I kill her now. <laughs> uh, but one of the rules is like, I think it's his, um, like you get one big coincidence. Okay, yeah. And that's it. Like if uh, you get a, a comet landing with an alien on it mm -hmm. in somebody's backyard, that's that's your thing. Right. It happens to be the most interesting guy in town and the comet's right there. It's got to land somewhere. We'll buy that. Yeah. But everything else has to stand on that. This movie, the, <laughs> the whole crime section, just, it doesn't play. And it makes me so sad. Well, it also, I'm sitting there going, like at this point going, well, what happened to the $100 million of Coke? Mm -hmm. And what's the coup? What's that to do with the Coke? <laughs> are, are they using the Coke to fund the coup? Is it a is it Coke? A Q Coke? More importantly, why do they need to spend time processing it? It's been processed. It's in the bags. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> it's already been, like, it came off the street because it was packaged. Right. right. It doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need more Martin Lawrence movies from the 90s. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah. And... Have you seen Nothing to Lose? I love Nothing to Lose with Tim so Robbins. Good. Yes. So great. It's such a good movie. <laughs> the uh, I always think of, there's a scene where, um, what is it? The 
the car was on fire or something and they walk into the gas station and his like his shoes are still smoking and the gas station attendant says wow you must run fast <laughs> run fast <laughs> such a good like flat delivery of like wow but he's also so good just with being an everyman that everybody can relate to but taking things like to a heightened place of exasperation yes of always being like he's always put upon and you kind of understand it uh and that's why his show worked so well oh absolutely like damn gina <laughs> exactly <laughs> But if you think like Will Smith is in this movie, if people, they, they, at this time, they love the charisma of this kid, mm -hmm. but he's not relatable. He's right. already past that. Martin Lawrence, his character on the show was relatable. He brought that character into every movie he did. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I still maintain, and I'll say this until the day I die, which is that in the nineties, Martin Lawrence was Kevin Hart before Kevin Hart. Yeah. I mean, just, just was, he, he had everything going for him and just dropped off. Um, okay. So you mentioned Will Smith, not relatable, right? Right. Who are some of the great non-relatable actors? Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Travolta, Travolta, Nick Cage, Nick Cage. Anytime these people, Nick Cage has a little more range. By the way, did you hear Nick Cage is in uh, flash? No. No, I have not. I was too excited over like the the trailer that dropped earlier in the week of the other Nick Cage movie. Which one? Um, I don't remember. He it's real wacky looking though. I'm all for that. Yeah, um, but Nick Cage in Pig. Yes. Yeah, very down to earth. Very much so. Kind of like a real person. At the end of un unbearable. <laughs> unbearable. The unbearable massive. Uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. At the end of that movie, he's relatable. Yes. Um, and in uh, Moonstruck, I would say he is. Oh, I love Moonstruck. Moonstruck's so good. Uh, Peggy Sue got married. Oh. Yeah. I haven't seen that since I watched movies with my mom. That's why they talk like this all the time. <laughs> uh, but I'm fascinated by these guys who have so much charisma and can never play a normal person. Yeah. Anytime yeah. you try to get Travolta, like as an everyman, uh, anywhere past maybe the early 80s, he can't do it. Like, he, he's no John Goodman. No. John no. Goodman can play an everyman. <laughs> he he might be one of the most relatable character actors. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just like, okay, I recognize that guy. I feel for this guy. Uh, and he brings that to the show he's doing. Uh, Gemstones, right? Just Gemstones. That's right. He's in Gemstones. Yeah. yeah. Is he all, is Roseanne still on or the Connors? I do not know. Because he may be doing both at the same time. Good for him. And you know what? John Goodman is, we're going to go out of tangent. John Goodman is <laughs> another one of those guys where you're like, I could watch him in anything. Mm -hmm. He's Joey Pants. He's never done a bad role. No, he's always strong. Uh, and he's gotten the chance to stand out once in a while. Coen Brothers movies. Yes. Specifically, Raising Arizona. Like, you got Nick Cage and John Goodman. Yep. Oh, brother, where art thou? Where's the Cyclops? Yes. Uh, uh. <laughs> I think the only bad movie he's done was the one where he was the king. King, king Ralph? King Ralph. Thank you. It's a bunch of my friends watched that when the queen died. <laughs> <laughs> they, did, they did a Discord watch along for it. Well done. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Chet, the apartment desk clerk. We're introduced to Chet. 
Which, another guy that I recognize. I recognize him too. Yeah. I recognize him from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, okay, yeah. Because he, he used to be the bartender that worked the underground. Yep. Uh, where did you recognize him from? I don't remember. Um, Severo Guerrera. <laughs> Guerrera. Uh, he's in Summer of Sam. Okay. Um, I'm guessing he's one of um, Adrian Brody's kind of buddies. I know he was in a TV show for a while. Oh, snap. He's Mocha Joe. From? Career Enthusiasm. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yep, got it. <laughs> uh, we also get the scene of the captain playing basketball and telling Martin and Mike to switch roles. <laughs> I was making them all before you guys got here. <laughs> it's so good. And Joey Pants just, he... He sells that. Absolutely. Yeah. But then they, at the very end, when he's walking out, they mentioned Jordan's retirement. Because mm-hmm. at the time he had retired, he came back the next year. <laughs> Makes it a little less relevant. Right. Um, let's see. Later, Julie identifies Noah while looking through mugshots. The two cops then head off to Club Hell, one of his known hangouts. Unbeknownst to them, Julie has followed, eager to dish out revenge on Fouché for killing Max, though the criminals spot them first after a brief fight between Marcus and Casper in a car chase, which ends up with Noah getting killed by Mike. All three manage to escape. The incident is caught on camera by a news helicopter, and the subsequent report is later seen by Marcus's family. <laughs> Well, one thing Michael Bay knows how to do is exploit beautiful women. Marcus could have walked in at any point, but mm-hmm. happens to do so when Taya Leone is rubbing down her very toned, slender, warm legs. It's exploitative. I don't approve of it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I mentioned here, there's a good movie here. It's just broken up with the B plot of the movie. <laughs> Which is the crime. <laughs> it's If you had either one of these movies, yeah. because there's at least two movies happening here, there might be three. <laughs> there's a good possibility yes. you're right. If you separated these movies or had someone more skillful blending them together, right, it would have played so much better. I agree. I just, like, when just the scenes where he has to explain what's going on in Mark, Mike's apartment. Yes. Like, why do you have all these pictures of, this guy, he was like, well, it's something the police officers do. It's a partner thing. It's a partner it's, thing. You don't understand. I, one picture for every time I saved his life. Yeah. And you're sitting there, you're sitting there going, at what point does Julie know? Yes. <laughs> like, when does she figure it out? Um, let's see here. At Club Hell, they discover barrels of each other. Uh, barrels of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong movie, Joe. <laughs> At Club Hell, they discover barrels of ether, which Fouché is using to cut and refine the heroin. So Mike and Marcus decide to visit JoJo again. <laughs> My favorite shot in this is there's a shot where you just see the ass of this dancing woman mm-hmm. and the actions happening in the background. And you're like, you could have taken any shot, Michael Bay. Any shot in this thing, we would have known where you were. You decided to show off this beautiful ass. <laughs> so uh, I've been watching. I haven't watched Fast X yet, right? I've been watching my way through the whole series. Oh, where are you at now? Uh, six. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's gone bonkers now. Yes. S5 is where it goes. Okay, we're going off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> like in a delightful way, which I would say would probably be Michael Bay inspired. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the point where there are just multiple shots in each movie where you're panning and tracking across just toned mid riffs and j- <laughs> jiggling bits and pieces. And, uh, 
and it's delightful. And I'm like, and they treat the cars the same way as they do the women. Absolutely. Which, um, as a red blooded American male, uh, once in a while, you, you know, it's fine. It's, it's not bad. It's, you know, it'll work if you can get it. My friend, I applaud it every time. (laughs) (laughs) I will sit there and I will uh, lean into my, uh, my testosterone. Yes. When I see ass, I enjoy ass. <laughs> you got you to gotta own it. Exactly. Uh, loud music, hot women dancing in slow-mo, witty banter. This is Michael Bay's wet dream. Uh, Marcus gets attacked in the bathroom. And I run in there. How come whenever somebody gets plastic over their face, they don't instinctively pop a hole in their mouth? I don't get it. <laughs> like, I would just be like. <laughs> Every time someone gets gagged, like uh, with a bandana or something small, mm-hmm. I'm like, just Spit it out. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah, just kind of like <laughs> push it out of the way and then talk. Like it, it's never on. It's always on where they can take it off and then put it back in their mouth again. Yes. And it's like you can spit it out. Also, a ball gag is a thing. Oh, that's what I've heard. <laughs> yes, that's what I've heard. I've, I've heard. <laughs> Okay. No, looks like no. Okay, I did that. Uh, where did Julie get a gun? Julie's got a gun. <laughs> she shows up with a gun. I'm like, where did she get it? Uh, she remembered her dog in one, one set of clothes and a gun. gun. <laughs> the uh, the whole action that's happening here for me very hard to follow. Yeah. Like, in a moment to moment way, but the impression that it left on me was like, well, this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've said it before. Michael Bay is the king of that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- th- there's another thing. Why is there a truck full of flammable ether just parked there? Uh, because it's going to be cool. <laughs> because <laughs> he needs an explosion. Yes. <laughs> We also get the scene where Julie's seducing Marcus while Mike is looking through photos with Marcus's wife. And we get to see Martin's afro. <laughs> it's huge. That's so good. And that's such a good cut. Yes. Like, you know, he's all suspicious and everything. And then it cuts to them laughing about this picture. I'm like, it's <laughs> a good joke. Yeah. And we get the phone call, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Uh, so the bad guys are staking out Marcus's house and the backup detectives are staking out the bad guys who are staking it's you got a chain of yeah and then they all see the the two partners go after each other but yeah they all see them going after but okay do the do the backup ruiz and whatever his name is do they know that marcus is undercover no they think marcus is in cleveland right wait but the, they're they're from Internal Affairs. No, so, no, they were the backup detectives. Okay. That um, Howard told them to support. Got it. Got it. Smith and Lawrence. Yeah. So, this department that's going to get shut down, <laughs> that can't they? He was told to like be quiet about it. Right. He told them to be quiet about it because it had to be someone on the inside at some point. Yes. And they're just throwing everybody other- everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we won't question anyone. We trust these four. Yes. I, I have to Who question. were the closest to the case? Yes. <laughs> I, I got a question. Their uh, their operations here. That's 
maybe it needs a change in leadership. <laughs> Uh, after an aggressive and convincing good cop, bad cop act from Mark and Mike and Marcus, Jojo tells them the location of the chemist who is cutting the stolen drugs. After staking out his house, they follow him to where Fouché is hiding the drugs. That's Mike Lowry right there. King dingling. <laughs> uh, Michael Bay. It, well, not right, Michael Bay. I, I'm going to talk about the writing here, but the guy, the four guys that wrote this, mm -hmm. uh, they're right on par with their uh, dingling jokes as Shane Black is when he does his. Okay. This is one of my comparison points. Okay. Is Shane Black um, and uh, Martin McDonough. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Two guys who both write witty banter mm -hmm. all the time. I felt like most of the stuff in this, after reading the bits about uh, improv, yeah. I feel like most of the good bits maybe are uh, Smith Martin and Lawrence. Smith, yeah. I believe it is because you heard at the very beginning of that Inception Perception, I said, Michael Bay didn't like the script. Mm hmm. Four dudes wrote on this or wrote this thing, and you're like, ah, let's improv. <laughs> it, it feels like, uh, like we said, you know, they're all in different movies, yes, to begin with. But the because the tone is so serious when you're in the crime sections, right? It's like, like I said, it doesn't blend, it doesn't seem to carry over, and it makes the characters seem inconsistent mm -hmm. from that perspective. Um, and once again. Having not seen the other two, <laughs> I really hope they they run with the these these buddies are cool. I mean, they're they're cool throughout. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, there's still 30 minutes left in this movie. No, <laughs> this should be this should be the end. Like, right. although Bay just keeps stacking ending upon ending. Why is Marcus wearing a bandana? Because it's cool. Every, that's the answer to all of the questions you would have about this movie because it seemed cool. It was cool I, at the time. I think like I turned this into a drinking game. Every time I ask that, and you could say it's cool, drink. Yep. <laughs> uh, I am convinced Julie. I'm convinced that Julie owns nothing but miniskirts at this point. Uh, I like her wardrobe and her choices, uh, and I'm going to support her as a strong, independent woman. I do too. Good for her. <laughs> Find a happy place. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. <laughs> uh, they return to Mike's apartment with Julie, where they're confronted by Marcus's wife, Teresa, who confirms Julie's suspicion that they have been impersonating each other. This causes Julie to storm off, but Fouché and his gang arrive at Mike's apartment and kidnap Julie. Okay. <laughs> Julie's going to leave the protection of these two mm -hmm. simply because she thought they were each other. Her confidence level's way too high. Okay, this is the same woman who was about to beat Marcus to death with a baseball bat yes. and she was so twitchy and crying and and now she's like screw you guys I'm I'm on my own now right yeah and not only that they've been together the whole time it doesn't matter who's who they're protecting you mm -hmm. absolutely yeah although it is kind of strange that once they met up with Julie they didn't say look here's the charade that we're doing right now for the time being yes there, there needed to be an extra motivator for them to keep doing it yes as if you know she was in contact with someone else and you know a whole you could have had a whole series of farces that spun off from this do we ever get any explanation as to why Teresa's pissed off at marcus uh well he took his ring off in that one to pretend to be mike oh okay there and was he, yeah he comes home and she says you smell like strippers or whatever it is right right uh, yeah the joke about them like you know never having sex dude he's got three kids <laughs> Okay, it fades after a while, and that's probably a good thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, you got three kids. You look at Teresa Randall. Jesus. Uh huh. Uh huh. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so they're about to leave the apartment, and all of a sudden, the bad guys show up, and they just shoot the place up. Just uh, plaster flying everywhere. Yes. Julie just drops to the floor. They don't shoot downwards. They're trying to kill her. Nobody ever does in these movies. I know. <laughs> and are there no cops on the streets anywhere as they shoot their way through a few blocks of public grounds? It's just cool. It's, <laughs> it's cool. just cool. It's, cool. it's, it's cool. cooler that way. <laughs> and we get the slow-mo circle the heroes moment from an mm -hmm. upwards angle. Classic Bay. <laughs> Dude, you could like just map that camera movement and drop any actor he's worked with into that circle. Like, <laughs> yep. It's just the exact same thing over and over again. And it it pretty much works every time. Exactly. I know people think, oh, Avengers. No, no, no. Bad Boys did it first. Mm -hmm. It was a Bad Boys thing. <laughs> okay, because of this, Internal Affairs reassigns all members of the Narcotics Division. Uh-huh, yep. sure. Effectively shutting them down, but Captain Howard delays the order to give Mike and Marcus more time to solve the case. You can't do that. <laughs> First of all, they wouldn't shut them down. They wouldn't. They might reassign certain people once in a while, bring in other. But if you can just say, no. Right. No, I refuse. <laughs> like, can you just get away with that? Well, it's like when they say, I'm taking your badge, and the guy goes, fine, I'll do it myself. Well, now it's murder, dick. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had that, you know, that lawyer thing going for you as a cop. You put you say I don't want the bad. Now it's murder. Yeah, you're just a guy. You're, <laughs> you're just, just a, a guy dude. At this point. <laughs> um, with help from a hacker named Fletcher, they access Dominguez's police database profile and learn that the police secretary Francine is Dominguez's former girlfriend. Francine explains that she was blackmailed by Fouché and Dominguez for narcotics information after they took nude photos of her, threatening to post them at her kid's school. Francine was a little too boop boop de boop for me. <laughs> a little too Betty boop for me to be a hacker. <laughs> the there's so much uh, description of incident. Yes, happening in this, and you're like, wait, just this big exposition dump that didn't need to be as complex as it is. You could have saved that for other parts of the movie. You could have said right? she was paid off. Yep, there you go. Yeah, but it had to be nude photos posted at school. <laughs> that's that's oddly specific and seems like it hit somebody's buttons. And a little bit, it's it, for me, I'll go, like, why are we doing character development at this point in the movie? <laughs> yeah, for a tertiary character. For a character that really served no purpose in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and then there's John Sally, just being a super nerd, which I love. <laughs> uh, Marcus and Mike and two other detectives, Sanchez and Ruiz, organize a plan to stop the criminals from killing Julie and selling the drugs. A final shootout erupts between the group of cops and the drug dealers at Opalaca Executive Airport. Marcus is shot in the leg after saving Julie from Fouché, but manages to kill Casper by shooting some nearby barrels of ether, which blow up Casper and some nearby thugs. So cool. <laughs> After Mike kills Ferguson, he attempts to catch Fouché, who shoots Mike while escaping the building, which is now on fire. But he is rescued by Marcus and Julie, who left to go get Mike's car. Mar <laughs> Marcus, Mike, and Julie chase Fouché's Shelby Cobra AC-427 in Mike's $105,000 vehicle, the Porsche 911 Turbo. Marcus bumps Fouché into a concrete barrier. Damn. But he manages to escape the wreckage. Attempting to run, Fouché is shot in the leg by Mike, Fouché, knowing he is beaten, tries to goad Mike into killing him, which he almost does as revenge for Max's murder until Marcus prevents it. 
While on the ground, Fouché then pulls out a concealed weapon and aims at Marcus, but seeing the reflection on his partner's forehead, Mike spins and shoots <laughs> Fouché numerous times, killing him. <sighs> the reflection? Really? <laughs> because it is so cool. <laughs> That's all you need. It's cool, baby. <laughs> what was uh, Fouché's idea here? Like, where is he going to run to? I don't know. Yeah. You're on tarmac. <laughs> like, it's flat and open, and the other cops are coming. There's not a plane waiting for you. No. He's going to, like, limp <laughs> off to... No. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Later, after Marcus and Mike profess their brotherly love for one another and their relief in surviving the gunfight, Marcus handcuffs Julie and Mike's hands together and hobbles away, hoping for some much-needed quality time with his wife so he can reconcile with her for his actions. Mike should have ended up with Julie in the sequel. Does, does he not? No! Okay. She's gone! Uh, we, we've got a real um, Kate Capshaw situation oh, here. Oh, yes! <laughs> Having just, I just watched Raiders and Temple. Okay. Yeah. So I was, because Steve and I, we decided we're going to do the indie movies. Love it. Yeah. And so uh, actually, if you want to join us, <laughs> uh, let's see. We're doing Raiders next Wednesday. Wait, like the 20... 21st. 21st. I'm, I'm, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Ooh. Yeah. Well, we're doing Temple of Doom, June 28th, Wednesday. That'll work. Okay, that's 11 o'clock. Can you do that time? I probably can do that time. Okay, yeah. Uh, and we're going to do them in theatrical order as opposed to chronological. Love it. Yeah. Love Although it. I, I watched Temple first as I was doing my rewatch because mm-hmm. uh, you kind of inspired me after our discussion about Kingdom. Yes. And uh, so I was like, okay, let me start with Temple again. I was like, God, Raiders hits so much better when you see Temple first. I think that's how I saw them originally as well. Okay. Because when are we looking at? 85? 81 was Raiders. 84 was 84. Raiders. Or 84, 84 was, was Temple. Temple. Yeah. Yeah. And then 89 was Last Crusade. Yeah. So I would have seen, and to me, I had this discussion the other day with two guys younger than me, right? That um, Last Crusade is still a new one. Oh, yeah. Like it feels was, newer. Yeah, there was a five-year gap there where I had two Indiana Jones movies, yeah. and then they came out with a new one. And <laughs> kind of like in the same way that I started watching uh, Batman 89 the other night. Oh, okay. And I'm like, I remember when this came out. It's still pretty fresh. <laughs> <laughs> it's still fresh for us. Yes, but it hurts. <laughs> that being said, when you get to Batman Forever, you'll be like, Ooh, I remember this being so much better when I was younger. <laughs> mm, that hurts. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones yeah. did not age in this one. Okay, but that's the end of the movie. Now, according to the top critics of Rotten Tomatoes, it has got a tomato meter reading of 25%. Okay, for all the problems I have, <laughs> that is amazing to me. Five fresh, 15 rotten. The critics on average gave this from a 4.1 out of 10. As a film in general, mm-hmm. they don't even do it by like we do with right. as, as an action movie. It says, Bad Boy star Will Smith and Martin Lawrence have enjoyable chemistry. Unfortunately, director Michael Bay too often drowns it out with set pieces and explosions in place of an actual story. Because it's cool. Because it's cool. So here are three of the rotten 
ones. Okay. <clears throat> Owen Gleiberman of the Inter Entertainment Weekly in 1995 said, of course the Simpson-Bruckheimer approach may still work at the box office, the only place it ever really mattered anyway. By now, though, I'd like to think most moviegoers have had a permanent overdose. Oh, 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 and <laughs> so. how wrong thou art. <laughs> then in 2000, Rita Kempley of the Washington Post said, Bad Boys is relentlessly is relentless formulaic fodder for the explosion starved. It's loud, shallow, sexist, and a complete waste of time. And awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Sheila Johnson of The Independent. <laughs> Trent Krim from The Independent. You may... <laughs> You may rest assured that whenever a glass object hoves into view, it will be shattered in slow-mo by the end of the scene. Yeah, it will be. I can't disagree with anything they said. No, but they talk about them as if they're bugs, right. not features. Like, there's other things wrong with this movie you could have pointed out. Now, the audience, they say it's a 3.9 out of 5 with 78% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. Okay. So the movie's over. Were you entertained, Josh? Okay. I was, but only to an extent. Okay. Um, the report that I got from my buddy Andrew, who yep. I do stage shows justice with, and uh, he made the reenactment. He, direct, he directed the movie that oh, I Oh, okay. Um, was that I should forgive almost everything in this movie because it's all <laughs> worth it for Bad Boys 2. <laughs> it is a sequel that's better than the original. Yeah. Is like just you get your grounding here, and then you make the step up to Bad Boys too. I I have to agree with she, he's right on with that. Okay, I, for me, sixty five percent of the movie I was entertained, and then for thirty five percent I was waiting for the other sixty five percent again. <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay, let's see if the Academy. It, well, let's see if the awards got it right. <laughs> At the Academy, it got no nominations. At the Golden Globes, it got no nominations. And even the Saturn Awards said, fuck you, we're not giving you any nominations. But at the MTV Movie Awards, where real awards are given out, Best Action Sequence. It was nominated for the Airplane Hangar Shootout, but it lost to Braveheart for the Battle of Sterling. Um, out of all of these movies, okay, the, the shootout is pretty cool. But it doesn't stand up to the other three. No, no. Die Hard with a Vengeance, I think, should have won for the maniacal drive through New York City subway explosion and derailment. Yeah. That was amazing. Broken Arrow is another underrated movie. Uh, yes, 100%. Yeah. Uh, then it also was nominated for Best On-Screen Duo, but it lost to David Spade and Chris Farley for Tommy Boy. Boy, that's a push. Because look at the other ones that are in there. Friday's Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. Okay. Seven, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. And Toy Stories, Tim Allen and Tom Hanks. You could have picked any of these and won. Yeah. That's a, you know what? Strong, strong pack that year. That's a very strong pack. And that was that's the only awards it was it was nominated for. Thing. All right. Yeah. And it's Michael Bay's first movie. He's not going to get too much award push. Has he won any Oscars? I would be surprised. If, if he has won any, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Okay. Time for your top three, bottom three. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. We'll start with the top three. Josh, give them to me. What are okay. your three? Number three. Yes. The Look. I love a movie that takes a big swing, right? Okay. Uh, from the jump, Bay is playing with filters, lens flares, <laughs> the wild camera moves, uh, and... Back then, you couldn't like fake a lot of this stuff. You couldn't do it in post. Yeah. 
if you're working with, you want that gradiated filter, you put a piece of glass, you pull it out of a package that says tobacco sun, you know, sunset <laughs> on it, and you slap it in front of the lens, and that's what all your film looks like. You're such a film guy. <laughs> <laughs> what does the package smell like, Josh? <laughs> oh, it's a little chemically. It's a little chemically? Okay. Yeah, they, they put, there's a, I think there's some kind of coating on the glass, and you can kind of smell it. Is it a film? It. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> uh, but love it or hate it. Yeah. I think Michael Bay is a stylist. He's a balls to the wall stylist. He doesn't just have ticks. Everything is soaked in his style. Yeah. If you were to put directors into pantheons. Okay. If there was a style category, I imagine in the Michael Bay, you'd also have a Zack Snyder. Okay. Yes. And possibly you might be able to have an argument for J.J. Abrams. I feel Abrams is more ticks. Like it's less entirely cohesive. Intentional. Yes. Yeah. He has some things that he leans on. Um, I would suggest Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright's a good one. I like yeah. that. Yep. Edgar Wright. Yeah. If you had a style department of directives or directors, I'd say those three would be very good yeah. parts in there. You can see and you that's a style that's, Clearly different than everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. And Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson and the center filming of every scene. <laughs> Pastel colors and mm -hmm. yes. his cuts. All these guys, I think, um, use the entirety of the filmmaking process. Oh, right? that's very clear. Yes. Yeah. With like your, your edits are there and they're paced for maximum impact. And you know, I'll say uh, this is probably an unpopular opinion to those that just kind of a casual viewers, but Michael Bay is not as bad a director as everybody thinks he is. No. Michael Bay, when you look at what he tries to do on every single film, it's always too much. Like mm -hmm. most directors would never take on that much. Right, right. But he says, eh, I'll try it and let's see what happens. And I think he gets a lot more shit than he deserves mm -hmm. uh, because no one's ever there isn't a Michael Bay movie out there that someone can't enjoy. Hmm. Yeah. You know what? There isn't one. I mean, he's made movies that people like. So, uh, going back to Indy, I had this same thought because I hadn't watched uh, temple for a long time. Okay. And I know the reputation that it has now is you know, it's not as good. It's problematic, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm watching it. I'm like, okay, I get the racism. That's it. There's totally some stuff there that you probably wouldn't do today. It was in 1935 though. Yes. Takes place in 35 when British were in India. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but as far as from a filmmaking standpoint, it might even be better than Raiders. Yeah. So I had a hot take with Steve when we were talking about the indie movies. Okay. His favorite movie is last crusade. Okay. And in it, and then then it goes Temple, then Raiders. Okay. And I said, well, I'm going to do a hot take with you right now when we do these movies. Because when I go, when we're done with these movies, your highest rated movie is going to end up being Temple of Doom. <laughs> and I said, and your lowest rated movie is going to be Last Crusade. Really? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, well, I mean, let's just say that we give them all A's. A plus A, A minus. Mm -hmm. You know, just for shits and giggles. That's still pretty damn high for a lowest rated movie. Yes. That's what I mean. And he goes, okay, go. Because if you watch Last Crusade, you realize it's a carbon copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
it's the <laughs> um, it's the more friendly version. Well, yeah, it's it's got the Sean Connery angle on it, which yeah. everybody likes. Uh, the reunion angle of let's bring back all the old characters, yes, stuff of that nature. Uh, but that's all just let's get you into the seats. Yeah, does it serve a purpose in the plot? And in the end, where Raiders and Last Crusade falter in a place where Temple rules mm -hmm. is in Temple. Indy's needed. Oh yes, in Raiders and Last Crusade, he is not. No, <laughs> he is along for the ride. Right, and a lot of stuff happens. Uh, he takes place in a lot of incident. Yeah, but he doesn't affect the outcome. No, Temple. After watching, I was like, Temple's really a good movie. Mm -hmm. It's really good. <laughs> but there's not a just like there's not a Bay movie that you couldn't find entertaining, even on a surface level, at least. Yes. There is not a flat-out bad Spielberg film. Like, from a craft perspective, even 1941. Duel. I, I think it's great. I know you do. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, but even his his worst film yeah. is still like, God, the guy that put this together, like he's got a mind for this stuff. No, he sold his soul to the devil. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that was. He he's here's how lucky this guy is. Mm -hmm. He gets handed a movie in 77. And the main character basically breaks. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being the best thing to ever happen. Mm -hmm. In Jaws. <laughs> yeah. That's called you just sold your soul to Satan. That's all that is. <laughs> that would have that would have killed any other director. Oh, the fact the stories of him. Have you ever read the Jaws log? Oh uh, no. Oh, it's good. It's like a little uh, diary presentation of the situation at the time, right? Okay. Uh, and the stress that he was under <laughs> and didn't snap. Oh, that's pretty impressive. You know, you think of like your Josh Trank. <laughs> that's but that's like most people you're like okay we're way behind schedule mm -hmm. we're over budget yeah uh i'm getting yelled at constantly by everybody you're brett ratners <laughs> yes <laughs> people who they couldn't stand the pressure of it yeah that that pressure cooker Ooh. okay might not be for you or for this show i'm listening but another interesting thing would be to go back and watch um Spielberg's uh, TV work. His his uh, Columbo. Oh, he did Columbo. He did a Columbo. He did. I know he did a couple episodes of Young Indiana Jones. Because <laughs> I watched one of those last yes. night and turned it off. Oh my! Oh, it's so bad. Uh, but he did Columbo. He did um, Night Gallery. There's a Night Gallery episode. Okay. Um, but the Columbo was the the public pilot for the actual series. Um, I think All right. Murder by the Book. Murder uh, by the Book. Murder by the Book is, is the title. But you watch it and you're like, God dang. This, is, you know, TV film yeah. from the 70s, it's so well done. I believe it. Yeah. It's, you know... Like you said, he he had to sell a soul. It, it, yeah. It, it, fun fact about those indie movies. Uh-huh. I didn't discover this until I was making all the templates last night for the four that we're going to do. Um, John Williams never won an Oscar once for any of the indie movies. Well, what was he up against, though? Okay, you ready? Yes. In 81, 
Chariots of Fire. Okay. See? Understandable. It, That's iconic. It's iconic, but let me pull it up here because I was I couldn't believe it. Cause you know when I do the intro, like, oh, written by this person, directed by this yeah, person, yeah. music by it's like John, just hand me the Oscar. That's the first one. The first, <laughs> John, just hand me the Oscar Williams. Yeah. And the second one is John, maybe I'll win this time, Oscar. <laughs> then it's like, John, what's wrong with you people, Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see. Movie planet here it is, movie reviews. Uh so this was Temple of Doom. I mean, it's the same notes for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like the score of Temple of Dooms. Uh, boy, these are really long. Why do I do them this long? <laughs> I should just have hyperlinks for all this shit. Okay. Uh, was it nominated for music? Was it not even nominated? It was. Okay. It lost to... First of all, he was going up against himself. Oh. Yeah, he did The River that year also. Okay. Yeah, but he lost to A Passage to India, Maurice Giari. Now, I don't agree with that particular one winning, but Maurice has some heaters. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, but loses that time. Mm-hmm. And then Last Crusade, you're like, okay, maybe this time. It's the swan song of Indy. Let's let's give him something here because you can't have an award show without playing the indie music at some point. Yes. Um, and it was, let's see here, Academy Awards, three nominations, one win. Come on, load up. Best effect. Okay, best music. Okay, so it's going up against Born on the Fourth of July, Field of Dreams, and Fabulous Baker Boys. But what wins is the Little Mermaid. Okay, he kept going up against the wrong things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's okay. It's understandable. I do think maybe they should have a uh, cumulatively for this series. You have done the best work. If you had told me that John Williams won a bunch of Academy Awards for music and you asked me to name off some of the movies, I would have said Indy and Star Wars first. Mm -hmm. It turns out, no, no, not even. <laughs> uh, in fact, Last Crusade didn't get nominated for Academy Awards or Golden Globes. Really? Nope. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> mm. But even then, didn't they don't even get music. And any of these, any of these, even the Saturn Awards was like, we're not giving you music, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> okay, so that, oh, that was your number three. What's your number two? <laughs> oh, good lord! Yeah, okay. hey, we're still doing this. <laughs> okay, uh, number two. Yeah, I surprising myself, Teo Leone. <laughs> That's uh, never been a big fan. Never really seen the draw, mm -hmm. but just like uh, Jennifer Lopez and Out of Sight. Oh, okay. Where you're like. Oh, this is the right combination of character and director and actor. Yeah. To make something special happen. Mm -hmm. And I'd kind of be interested to like, has she ever been this good again? Well, she did Madam Secretary for a while. Oh. She was in that show. Uh -huh. She had a TV show where she worked for a paparazzi paper or something like that. Uh, she was in Fun with Dick and Jane with Jim Carrey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was his wife. 
she's always been a very funny actor. She was in Spanglish without okay. Adam Sandler. Yes. She's always been a very good comedian. She just never had the, I guess, the sexy look mm -hmm. to make it into those things. And I think she was kept being put into those properties, which didn't serve her as an actress. Well, and, you know, uh, painfully, she wound up in Deep Impact instead of Armageddon. <laughs> Armageddon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Pick the wrong project on that one. Uh, but Taya Leone is the Bay Girl. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bay Girl is modeled off of. Megan Fox and Transformers. Thank Taya Leone. You know, live Tyler Armageddon. Thank Taya Leone. <laughs> Every bay has a girl. This one was Taya Leone. <laughs> <laughs> and your number one. Uh, for number one, I've got to go with the action in this movie. Uh, the logistically doesn't always make sense. No. <laughs> but in the, in the world of the movie, it works fine. Okay. If I'm watching something that's more grounded and realistic, yeah. then I'm going to be upset if you're crossing the line, if you're doing these weird cuts. But in here, it is just the impression that he's throwing at you. Yes. Like, uh, but it's much more intentional. Like people are like, oh, chop it up, put it in a blender, spit it back out. Yeah. That's what they, th I'm like, no, there's an effect, a cumulative effect that he is going for that. I think he, I think he achieves it. Okay but I think it is entirely on purpose, the things that he's doing. Not to go off on another tangent, but uh -huh. because I know you're high on this movie and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, who had the better first movie? Okay. Michael Bay, Bad Boys, mm -hmm. David Fincher, Alien 3. Oh, oh, they're, I... I know, Josh, Josh, don't okay. go with your heart, go with your brain. <laughs> I think... Uh, you're talking degrees of difficulty too, though, right? <laughs> like Alien 3 is not like, there, there's no predecessor for that. There, I'll, I'll say this, Alien 3, if you go by degree of difficulty, is a 10. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it should never have happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, have you read the the book? I've, I've read everything and watched everything I can in Alien 3. It's the most fascinating story I've ever seen in my life. So there is a, um, I believe it's a recreation, a novelization of the script by William Gibson. Okay. Noted sci-fi author, William Gibson. Mm -hmm. um, it came out within the last few years uh, that they put this book together of it. And it's, it is so interesting. Yeah. To like this alternate route that it could have taken. Oh, no. They're, the brain... You know how in like Loki and in the Marvel universe right now, they're doing the multiverse and you see like the timeline, it just branches off and all these things. Yeah. You just look at Alien 3 and you go, the number of branches I can see on the screen, <laughs> I should not be seeing. Yes. It's amazing it got filmed all the way through. It's brilliant the way it is. Yeah. But which one do you think is the better product at the very end? Here's the end product, Bad Boys or Alien 3? Hmm. You know what? I'm going to have to go with uh, which one I have more draw to revisit. Because even though, you know, I've come around uh, to an intellectual understanding of Alien 3. Yeah. Before that, when it first came out, I was drawn to it. Okay. Um, well, we were the same age when it came out. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it has, um, there's, there's thoughts and ideas going through it. Yeah. 
bad boys. Michael, but you cannot accuse him of having other thoughts and ideas running through his face. <laughs> it's because it's cool. It's because it's cool. It's because it's cool. I know she still haven't given me an answer, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping my non-answer answer would, would totally suffice. My answer, despite the fact that I rail against this movie, is I think Alien 3 is the better movie. Yeah. I think the product of Alien 3 is better from start to finish than Bad Boys is from start to finish. Uh, I think especially with as compromised as it is, the fact that it is pretty much a whole vision yeah. from beginning to end and flows like a movie <laughs> yeah. from beginning to end gives it the the leg up over Bad Boys. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there'll be a Bad Boys assembly cut anytime soon, but... <laughs> you know what? I'd like to see the... Is there like a three-hour version? The, the Bay cut. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my top three. Number three, the banter is better banter than you see in most action movies from the bad guys all the way to the good guys. Uh, I got to change that. The bad guys have no banter. The good guys do. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's a Number two, it's a very good film for a first run with Michael Bay. This is Michael Bay's Evil Dead. This is his duel. This is his THX 1138. It's his Mad Max. It's his Alien 3. It all builds from this point. It's, it's the seeds which grow into a mighty oak. And you know what's funny is, if this movie doesn't hit, we don't get Michael Bay. Mm -hmm. But it did. He knew enough about what he was doing to put together something that was... So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, the chemistry between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and Joey Pants is awesome. There should be at least 10 Bad Boys movies if they capitalized on it to begin with. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to the bottom three. Okay. <laughs> Josh, hit me with it. I am going to... Do we have like a an argument card, like a red card we can pull out? No, you can, you can, you can, you can. Because I am straight up disagreeing with the banter. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me with a Josh. All right. So some of it is good. Yes. But a lot of it falls flat. A lot of it feels too writerly in a very bad way. It it feels forced. Uh, and I know Bay is a maximalist when it comes to style, everything he does. Yes. Uh, but you look at Lethal Weapon, there's so many jokes that land because they're not underlined, because they're treated like as these little throwaways and asides, and you're not leaning on them. Yeah. Uh, this thing hammers <laughs> every punchline. It's, uh, it's punctuated with a close-up. Yes, like, it is. Like winking at the camera practically <laughs> like, hey, did you get that one? Well, that was very good, Josh. Thank okay. you very much for that disagreement. Yeah. Uh, number two. Oh. That is false. What did I tell you about using the bell for comedic purposes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two. Just like I praised Taylor Leone, Karen Alexander is in the, she's in the other camp. Yep. I'm sorry. Uh, her scene with Lisa Edelstein is painful. Um, she's a stunning woman. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. She's primarily a model. Yes. Uh, and a an activist and many other things, having looked up oh, some okay. of her information. Yeah. Um, and apparently is suffering from like a degenerative spinal disease or something. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I'm not taking anything else away from her. No. But maybe there's reasons why this is really the only movie she's been in. Karen in 1995 is the issue. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and my number one reason is uh, it's the plot, man. Not feeling that plot, huh? No, the plots, they don't really play. There's too much like exposition-y stuff happening. Yeah. Where you're just like, 
okay, why are they recutting the heroin? <laughs> what, what is happening here? Yeah. Because it's going to be cool. I get that, but it doesn't hang together well. You know, what's funny is you see this and you're like, okay, there's the crime story. There's the Will Smith and Martin Lawrence story. And I remember you mentioned, and there's my, probably a third plot in there also. Yeah. And I think we saw when they were cutting stuff. It was New Jack City. Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. what it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number three, this movie's very uneven. I feel like the action scenes had one writer and the exposition scenes had another. Neither of which knew what the other was doing. And then a blind <laughs> man cut the movie together with all the footage they had. You could shave off 20 <laughs> minutes of this movie and nothing would change. So most people think like they blame uh, Tarantino running long on not having a good editor. No, he edits all his own stuff. No, Sally, Mank Sally Mankey edited up until she passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, so, but they're like, the length is what an editor does. No, they make a lot of moment to moment choices as mm -hmm. well. Uh, moment to moment, this movie I think is gangbusters. Yeah. It is that larger overall, the, the bigger arcs where it does not work. See, there's only one Tarantino movie that I can think of that was just too long for me. Mm -hmm. And it was Hollywood. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Okay. It just, that was just felt like too long. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about that movie? You like it? I like it. I've only watched it the once. Yeah. Uh, and I've read most of the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. His novelization of it. Okay. He gets into a lot of tangents and a lot of, uh, he, he writes himself into the book uh, at one point. <laughs> <laughs> the most Tarantino thing you could have said. Yes. <laughs> Okay, my number two, Fouché is a lame villain. In fact, midway through the movie, I forgot he was the villain. <laughs> well, the only reason you can tell is if you look at the bad guys, he's the one who looks like a real actor. Yes. <laughs> and number one, they should have just made a movie about the chemistry between these two partners without the crime bit in the background. It would have made a better comedy than an action movie. Yep. Okay. Time for the critics rating. Uh, what do you give 1995's Bad Boys in the action movie genre by today's standards? I'll go first. I'll hit this. Okay, for all the hoopla about this movie franchise, it's amazing that it did as well as it did, but it had two things going for it. Number one, Will Smith was coming off of his role in Six Degrees of Separation and the family sitcom version of himself in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And number two, Martin Lawrence was in the middle of his hot streak as a young comedian with the TV show Martin and the fact he was basically the Kevin Hart of his time. He was doing everything thing. Sure, this movie brought in bank for a pre-summer movie, but I think audiences are very forgiving in an action movie if the action is stylized and the banter is witty and sharp. And this movie is an example of all the things people complain about with Michael Bay films. Big explosions, misogynistic camera shots, excessive coloring, slow-mo reactions, and the ever-popular rise and circle around the hero's camera shot. There's just one problem. The plot is thinner than most I've seen in an action movie. This movie doesn't know what it wants to be. So is this largely experimental for Michael Bay? Yes. He honed a lot of his craft on this movie when it comes to making big budget movies, but it's not one of his best. And I would even go so far to say that this movie is the mode of Michael Bay directed movies. There are movies that are better, like The Rock, Armageddon, Bad Boys 2, Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Pain and Gain, 13 Hours. And there's movies that it's, you know, it, they're better, that this movie's better than. Pearl Harbor, The Island, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Transformers Age of Extinction, Transformers The Last Night, <laughs> Six Underground and Ambulance, sorry. And Oof. an average Michael Bay is only slightly better than an average action movie. So I'm gonna give this a C plus. Okay. Josh, you're up. Uh, I think 
had I seen this in 1995, yeah, we're it's a different ball game. Okay. At that point, I was raised on a lot of um, what would have been your Steven Seagal's is. Your, yes. Your Jean, Above the law. Your Jean-Claude's. Yeah. All ADR right? movies. Yes. <laughs> you, you have a lot of these things, and it's coming from what could have been that mold. Okay. Right? Like, you don't have a whole lot of this. Today, we're inundated with action comedies where they have high action and high comedy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the same world in 1995 i feel like um even your your weapons lethal that you would have i love weapons lethal (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they have a lot of other things going on especially the first two okay with uh you know the family dynamics you have the depression the crippling depression that (laughs) mel gibson deals with in those movies yes (laughs) you know what those movies do with those though is they do a really good job of keeping it as a through line through all four. Yes. Like there's character growth. It doesn't just stay stagnant. Right. Yeah. So bad boys is like, I'm going to say it's like a comic book movie before comic book movies got popular. Fair. Yeah. It's, it's thin and it knows that it doesn't have to be anything else. It is an entertainment. It is a slice of cake, if you will. Yeah. Um, but that said, it's not necessarily a nutritious slice of cake or the freshest <laughs> slice of cake on the on the block. When you're looking at this list of uh, Bay's other films, mm-hmm. this might have been a progenitor, but it is not the best. No, it for me it is the um, Nirvana Nevermind of this particular thread. Oh, right? some people would say it's one of the best albums ever. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's one of the best albums ever compared to what came after it it is a low point yes it is it is for my my money the aliens right where it's low son of a bitch (laughs) it's my lowest of the franchise but the franchise is one of my highest things ever disregarding avp yeah Uh, (laughs) and requiem yes yes uh but so like you're saying yeah he makes better than average action movies but this is not even his average. I feel like this is below his average. Okay. And it's below ambulance, <laughs> which goes in the top tier. You shut your mouth. <laughs> it is. If you want to talk about where he fully just embraces everything that he does, <laughs> that movie is that's balls to the wall. Look, if I lean into my dysfunction in my classroom, I'm a bad teacher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to be a great lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I do think this is, I have to go with C plus. C plus. Okay. I, I want it to be higher. I thought when we, when I started the movie, mm-hmm. that first scene, I was like, oh, this is going to be an A. Yeah. Because it feels like that from, from the beginning. I mean, essentially when you look at it, if you look at it where it is culturally, it's, pretty landmark we i don't i can't think of a movie before this one where you had two black cops as your lead mm-hmm. in a buddy cop movie mm-hmm. you really didn't have it it was always two white cops right or you have um uh, 48 hours oh yeah the pairing of yes but what's nice about this is that the the only white guy in this is joey pants yeah you've got the two black guys and then their backups are two latinos yes and it's like well, this is what Miami would look like. Oh, absolutely. Like Michael Bay knew where he was filming. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't like, I'm going to put some Iowa guys in there. 
Um, okay, well, revisiting the, the movies in the Pantheon here, Bad Boys gets a solid 78. It's not cracking the Pantheon. It's okay. not cracking the Pantheon. It's still below Mad Max 2 and Die Hard the Vengeance, which I agree with. Now, when we get, if we decide to do Bad Boys 2, maybe that will push its way a little bit higher up. Yeah. Um, and Bad Boys for Life, I enjoyed it when I saw it in the theaters. Okay. But it's it's not a Bay. That's not a Bay movie. Okay. I don't believe it's a Bay movie. I, I don't think it's a Bay. You sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm going to look it up right now. Is it a bay? Is it a bay? That's not a bay. <laughs> I, I still have Joey Pants on here. <laughs> Bad Boys for Life 2020. It was directed by. Oh my God. Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. Okay, so not a bay. Not a bay not movie. A bay. Got it. <laughs> okay, let's take the critic stats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? Uh it's it's a like. I love this movie. It's it's a strong <laughs> like. Uh it on my my personal ranking, yeah. It gets a uh just below I'll watch it again if it's on. Like if this was your letterbox, what would you letterbox this as? It's uh it's a 40%. It's two out of two okay. out of five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which for me, 50 yeah. is if it's on, I'll watch it again. Okay. Like I'm not going to seek it out, but I'm not going to avoid it either. This is slightly to the, you know, I'd probably turn it off. I might catch a couple cool scenes and then turn it off. Yeah. No, I, for me, it, you know what? Cause I was going to say the reason why I love this, because I know that I could put this movie on watch the Martin Lawrence scenes, watch the Will Smith scenes, watch the Taylor scenes. And then when it turns to something else, I can go do laundry yeah. and then come back and, oh, I'm back in my scenes again. This is what I want to see. But based on what you just said here, I got to turn it to a like also. It's not a love, it's a like, because I'm not sitting there to, to watch the whole movie. I'm sitting there watching just specific bits. Mm -hmm. So I just like this movie. Okay, so that ends that. Now the question is next is, do we want to go down the bad boys rabbit hole? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think given what I've heard of bad boys too, and what I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces. Yeah. I I'm interested in watching the whole thing. It has one of the best scenes in the entire series. Okay. Which is when his daughter comes home with her date. Oh, and Will Smith and Martin Lawrence answer the door to meet the date. Okay. It is, it is iconic. And you've probably seen the video before on TikTok or Instagram or something oh. like that. Uh, but like even my buddy Steve in Florida, he was, we were talking about doing the bad boys thing, me and you. Yeah. And he goes, oh yeah, my friends keep telling me about bad boys too, the scene where the dad answered the door because he's got a little girl. Got he it. He goes, I can't wait for her to grow up. Uh, is it? Have you seen Den of Thieves? Uh, that with Gerard Butler? Yes. I think I have. Okay. Because I think they pull a very similar gag in that where the boyfriend comes over and there's like all these muscly cop dudes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he like leaves the guy in the room with all these <laughs> big, <laughs> big burly guys just staring at him while he talks to his daughter in the other room. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll hover back by 10. <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. No, this, I, I think, okay, we'll do Bad Boys 2 next. Bad right. Boys 2 is coming down the pipeline. Sweet. Okay. But we got to close out here because. I got to go see Elemental. I got I got to go record another podcast. Oh, what 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 podcast? 
Uh, tonight, I'm doing Stagecoach Justice, where we are wrapping up our Django exploitation with Django Unchained, uh, which I finished this morning. So Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So that's where people can find you, Stagecoach, Stagecoach Justice. Justice. Or uh, Nashville CA. Nashville CA. Yep. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Any last words, Josh? I like to do things just because they're cool. (laughs) Thank you, Michael Bay. (laughs) Thanks for listening and happy movie watching. We're out.